solo mente. You are Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in viewers to another episode of the Locked On Texans podcast, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making the Locked On Texans your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. And this episode of the Locked On Texans is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty and affordable food. It's an unofficial community center. A big thank you to our friends at McDonald's for always being there, and I'm loving it. Cody Davis is my co-host joining today's show. We're going to have a fun episode joining the uh, Locked On Dolphins. So a lot is going on with Houston <laughs> and, and Miami in the last few months. So that's going to be up for today. But, Cody, go ahead and get folks a rundown for today's show. And as always, let's talk some Texans. Yes, sir. And as you just mentioned, we're going to be joined by Locked On Dolphins as we discuss this mirror image between the Houston Texans and the Miami Dolphins as we kick off week nine. We're talking about two organizations, one organization. We are not surprised that they are sitting at one in seven heading into this game. But the other organization, the one down in South very Beach, surprised. we are very surprised because, you know, whether they had Deshaun Watson or Tua, at the end of the day, we thought for sure how the way they finished last season, we thought for sure they were going to be a primary contender in the AFC and just in general in the entire NFL this year. And boy, has everything went down the drain for them. But ladies and gentlemen, before we get over to that crossover edition, John, listeners, I got a tad bit of good news for you guys. What you got? Tyrod Taylor had an opportunity to see him in practice. Last week I saw him in practice. He wasn't doing much. He was just throwing the football, you know, looked like he was just warming up his shoulder. But on yesterday, had an opportunity to see him. Not only was he just warming up his shoulders, he, he was going through he was going through his steps. He was going through his, his practices. He was going through his reads. And I'm happy to say he was getting first team reps. That's good. <laughs> so that's, that's good. good. Um, David Culley has not came out and said whether or not Tyrod Taylor will be the starting quarterback for Sunday. I'm pretty sure later on today when he speaks around 11, 12 o'clock today, he will make that announcement. But I am expecting Tyrod Taylor to play. Nobody is telling me this. This is not according to no sources. This is coming from me, from what I seen on yesterday at practice, because like I mentioned, Tyra was moving really well. Um, as a matter of fact, you guys can go to my Twitter account just to see how well he was moving around. Not only that, uh, when the Texans started going through their practices, when they started going through plays on what they're going to run, Tyra Taylor was taking first team reps. And last week when he first came off of IR, that was not the case. He was out there. He, he kind of looked like the Tyra that I saw throughout training camp and throughout those first six quarters. So all you fans who are just John, like you as a reporter, all you reporter and fans who are out there just hoping and wishing that the Texans just give you one, one more, more win, this could be the game. And it should be. Right, it's set up perfectly. One in seventeen. It's one in seventeen. One in seventeen that you're playing in Miami. I know it's a little tongue twister, but you know they got their issues of their own. Right, that defense has regressed heavily from what we saw last year. 
they are allowing 291 passing yards per game. So whether it's Tyrod or Davis Mills, you know, I think this is a winnable game for Davis Mills if he's going to be the starter out there, I think definitely for Tyrod Taylor. But push that ball downfield, regardless of who's that quarterback, the conservative the, the conservativeness needs to be kicked out the window, shown uh, the street, kick it out. I don't know. I don't whatever, but they do not need to be conservative against this team. The ball needs to be in the air. The ball needs to be in the hands of the receivers. I think Houston should go come out in a four-receiver set majority of this game in order to attack this defense. I think that's the only way Houston has a good chance of winning if they air it out some more. So I'm glad that Tyrod Taylor is back. Well, well, well. Practicing. I'm sorry to cut you off. Let's not air it out too much because Xavier Howard is still on the opposite side of that line of scrimmage. I, I just want to throw that in there. Ah, listen, man. 291 yards per game is what they're allowing in the passing game so far this year. And we've seen that Houston's offense moves when they're passing the ball. We've seen that Houston's offense is at a stalemate, stagnant, non-existent, when they're trying to force these runs. This is game nine. It's not happening. It's not working. And so go get that win, man. I think I think this is the game for them to win. Going into a bye week, give them a big uh, sigh of relief. And can come back for you know th- that next game, but Tyrod or or Davis Mills, this is a prime example and opportunity for them to go out there and air it out. Tim Kelly, where are you? As mentioned before, this episode is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get that tasty and affordable food. It's a place where friends and family can come to connect. It's a place where classmates can meet up for a study group knowing they will have dependable Wi-Fi and endless supplies of french fries and McFlurries. I think you guys should go to McDonald's right now. They got a great 20-piece nugget for $8, and it comes with a basket of fries. I got my niece and nephews that the other day, and I didn't have to worry about them bothering me at all because they they were doing their thing, right, eating good McDonald's. And on top of that, with that great Wi-Fi, You can go and catch a game up there if you want to. Did somebody say a Locked On Watch Party? Who knows? Locked On Texas Watch Party? As always, ba-da-ba-ba-bop, I'm loving it. And while you're driving to McDonald's, if you need to get some gas, make sure you download Get Upside before you head to the gas station. You're able to make up to $0.25 for every gallon of gas. Every time you fill up, just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code TOUCHDOWN for NFL, baseball for MLB, or hockey for NHL. We are back for another Crossover Thursday episode here on the Locked On Network. Locked On Dolphins, Locked On Texans, Kyle, Cody, John. We are going to have a good time talking about um, a game everybody was probably pretty interested in in the build-up to the trade deadline, and I don't know if anybody's going to have any interest in it now outside of these two fan bases in Houston and Miami because uh, everybody obviously had eyes on uh, the Deshaun Watson standoff and saga that's been going on for a real, uh, real long time. But that, going to put it on the back burner. we got a football game to talk about. So, gentlemen, how are we doing today? 
Doing well, man. As you already alluded to, you know, I'm not gonna lie. I thought we'd be doing this crossover. You'd be asking me stuff about, you know, how good is Deshaun Watson on the field? <laughs> but um, look, we're doing good, man. You know, as you know, the Houston Texans are just as dysfunctional to a certain extent as the Miami Dolphins, and this is going to be a very interesting game. And if you don't mind, let's just jump right into it, Kyle. And cool. I would like to ask you straight up: What is the deal with Tua? I'm a Tua fan. I have a lot of confidence that he's going to turn into a very solid quarterback in this league. It seems like it's split down the middle. What can you say about my guy, Tua? Uh, It's really odd when you think about the timeline, right? And that they drafted Mm -hmm. him at number five overall. And the offensive coordinator was there last year as the guy who had coached for six years with Ryan Fitzpatrick, who was the returning starter on the team. And everybody kind of thought, okay, you know, like, Maybe 2020, redshirt year for Tua, had the hip injury, all the COVID stuff that went on. Like, just let him get back to 100%. And you get to week seven, and all of a sudden, in the bye week drops, and they make the decision to put Tua in when Brian Flores had said no less than three weeks earlier, if Tua was my son, I wouldn't play him because mm. he's not ready. And then they put him in. And it's a part of the, they build it as part of what's best for the team and the evaluation process. But then at the same time, in the fourth quarter of a couple of games last year, when Miami's down, Brian Flores goes back to the bullpen and puts Ryan Fitzpatrick in. So this whole process has been very unorthodox, and I think it's created a lot of problems that didn't necessarily have to exist. And it's probably instilled some doubt with some of the players on the team who who were looking there last year and saying, man, we're trying to run for the playoffs, and we get in trouble, and and we – the starting quarterback's not even our guy. We're going to go back to the other guy. And uh, I think that that's probably kind of raised some eyebrows and and created some questions. And Kyle Van Noy was a player who was on the team last year who they cut loose in the off season. And that was perceived to be part of that decision-making process was not just cap, but Kyle was an outspoken leader on the, on the team and on the defense. And when he left Miami, didn't necessarily have nice things to say about Tua. So I think some of this strife was created last year. And then when a player, a player, a football player, Deshaun Watson's caliber becomes available because he's displeased with Houston, but Miami couldn't help themselves. And Stephen Ross has had two goals since he bought the Dolphins uh, in the late 2000s. And it was win a Super Bowl, find the heir to Dan Marino. Well, step two there, finding the heir to Dan Marino helps you get perceivably closer to step one. And, um, it really feels like he had gotten permission to speak with Watson ahead of the trade deadline. And I don't know how they can look anybody in a straight face and say, we still believe in Tua. And I'm with you. I think Tua can be a successful NFL quarterback, but I think it's probably going to have to be somewhere other than Miami, just based on what this first year and a half has been like for him. You know, you mentioned the locker room. I want to look at Brian Flores, how much, uh, a disappointing has he has he been this year for the Miami Dolphins as a head coach? How how good has he been eluding those Deshaun Washington questions? I think that they have been hitting him constantly uh, every week. It seems like he he's getting in the media for a Deshaun Washington question in his response. So how much of the locker room does he still have, and will he be with the team next year moving forward? Yeah, so that that's that last part there is the really interesting part of all of this because it feels like. The Watson saga is to be continued, right? And you'll revisit this in the offseason. And if I'm Steven Ross and I do want this to happen, am I going to fire the guys in-house who I know were ready to 
make that happen and then try to hire new guys and sell them on a quarterback I don't have on my roster yet. Like that's pretty complicated to do. So I think the fact that this pursuit led to no, no action happening probably helps the case of both Brian Flores and Chris Greer coming back to the team next year. Mm. But you know, Brian Flores specifically, he's getting peppered with these questions because he gives the same exact answer every time he's asked, which is two is our quarterback. Period. There, there's no further extrapolation. There's no further. It's just two is our quarterback. I'll leave it at that. And when that's all you get, when these rumors just don't go away, everybody's going to be like, that's it. Like, is he your quarterback right now? Is he your quarterback long-term? Do you like what you see? So then they, they brought out the general manager, Chris Greer, uh, yesterday to have his first press conference availability in quite some time to kind of try to address some of those issues. But I'm a little worried about the way the team is playing from an energy perspective. You know, Brian Flores, his mantras have been, do the things that take no talent, play your butt off, uh, play smart, play disciplined. And the team's not doing any of those things right now. They're, they're not playing inspired. The defense has regressed to an insane degree. And you watch, they they have this merry-go-round of assistant coaches where coaches are coming in. They're leaving for the same job somewhere else without taking a promotion. He's on his third and fourth offensive coordinators in three years. He's on his fourth offensive line coach in three years. And it's like, I don't know how you fix that because guys outside the league, they see, or outside the team across the league, they see this stuff happening. And it's like, I'm not going to tie my profession to come down and be your fifth offensive line coach in four years just for us to get to the end of the year. And you can't hire a, a competent OC and I'm going to be out on my butt and out of a job. So that's the worry for me with Flores. And he's been a massive letdown because he was so good for those first two years. Mm. And, and Kyle going into week nine, the Miami Dolphins has the same record as the Houston Texans mm -hmm. going into the season. Everyone knew the Texans were going to be a dumpster fire, but Deshaun Watson or not, we, we all believe that Miami was going to be a contender in the AFC. Can you just speak on how disappointing of a season this has been and what has went on that led you guys to have led you guys to having the same record as the Texans so far? It's the most disappointing season I can remember in quite some time. And it's kind of this perpetual cycle where they hire a coach. There's a successful season somewhere in there. And then the team immediately regresses back. And it doesn't matter what they do from a, a hierarchy perspective. It doesn't matter what they do from what kind of coach they go after. This organization just, it, it really seems like they have a hard time keeping everybody on the same page and rowing in the same direction. And a lot of their, issues are self-inflicted issues. And I think that's the, the most frustrating part of all of it, because you know, I can't help but wonder if Deshaun Watson had the Dolphins on one of the teams that was on his no trade destination list, and he was never an option for Miami. I can't help but wonder what this offseason would have looked like and building up to the season. And, and you know, it felt like there were times where they were holding out hope that they could get this done and, and maybe putting that potential ahead of some of the other needs on the team. And, you know, uh, as I said, with the, with the players and the questions that existed going back to fits on the roster and thinking about some of those guys who, if there's kind of a rift with fits guys versus Tua guys on the roster. And if Tua gets hurt week two, right. And it, just the whole thing's perpetuated. And it's like, man, we knew it. Like, I feel like there's a lot of negativity in this black cloud of 
them having eyes for somebody who's not on their roster has, has really probably helped brew this toxic environment that the team is in right now that they just can't seem uh, to shake or get out of. But yeah, man, I mean, expectations were so high. They overachieved in each of the first two years. Brian Flores was here. And this, this is about as nightmarish of a scenario as I can remember going back to like 2007 when they went one and 15. Wow. So, but if, is there any hope for Brian Flores? I mean, like you mentioned, he had two good seasons, 10 and six last year with the quarterback rotation. And now they're just tailed off completely, but is there hope for him to get it one more year with this team? I think they'll need to bounce back down the stretch with the win wins and losses and, and not continue the tailspin that they're in. Uh, and he's going to have to have a really strong answer for what are you going to do on the offensive side of the ball? You know, they, he brought in Chad O'Shea's as offensive coordinator in 2019, his first year who was in new England and he was fired at the end of the year. They said the playbook was too complex. He was too rigid with trying to teach the guys the playbook. There were players that had complaints about him. He's out. Well, then they bring in Shane Gailey and they tailor it to specifically Ryan Fitzpatrick and halfway, less than halfway through the season, they pull Fitzpatrick despite the far, part, the fact that he was playing relatively well uh, and the chemistry never exists. And Tua himself said in the offseason, I didn't really know the, the playbook all that well last year. Didn't have any freedom at the line of scrimmage to change plays. I knew plays were dead, but we had to run them because I didn't have anything at my disposal. So then Shane Gailey's out at the end of last year. And their hiring process was a bunch of dead ends until they co-promoted two guys to serve as co-offensive coordinators that were on the, the staff as assistant coaches last year. Like, this is not sustainable. So they got to start winning some games, and then Brian Flores has got to say, hey, here's an established coach that exists in the league that has proven time and time again that he could run an efe efficient, effective NFL offense. I'm going to hire him. I'm going to let him run that side of the ball, let him work with our quarterback, and I'm not going to touch it and stay out of the way. And if he can do that, I think there is a chance uh, that he can find himself back on the sidelines again in 2022. That was the Miami Dolphins. Now let's talk to Houston Texans when we come back. That's going to be fun, of course. Thank you for checking out the Locked On Texans and the Locked On Dolphins. We got more on the way. We're back and better than ever. A new web interface for the start of the basketball season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all of the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just using promo code Locked On to receive your bonus. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports because Bet Online is where the game starts. We are back here on a crossover Thursday edition of Locked On, Locked On Dolphins, Locked On Texans. I want to get both you guys' opinions on, on everything. This is nice. I usually just do the one-on-one, so the fact that I get two of you guys, I want to hear your, your back and th forths on, on everything that we've talked about. So, obviously, the head coaching search for the Texans this past offseason was uh, cast into the spotlight when uh, some of those decisions were made, and that was part of the process, along with the hiring of Nick Casario that helped uh, alienate your franchise quarterback who's who's not playing this year and has requested a trade. But what I'm most interested in is David Culley has been a really long tenured, well-accomplished, well-respected assistant coach in the NFL for a really long time. 
How has his tenure in year one as a head coach uh, for his, the culmination of his entire career, how has that gone for him thus far this season? To be honest with you, it's kind of hard to judge him as a head coach. Some people are a little bit harsher on that and say it has gone terrible, especially when you consider the fact that this team is one and seven. You know, he's been taking a lot of heat for it. But uh, but at the same time, he isn't the main one making all the plays. I mean, making all the calls. It's Lovey Smith making calls. It's Tim Kelly making calls. You know, in the press box, it's Nick Asirio, the general manager. He has a say-so in every single thing that David Cully is quote unquote putting out there on the field. And, you know, it's a little bit unfortunate that he became the guy that's taking all the darts for all of the mishap the Houston Texans have been through this year in terms of coaching, but he, it's hard to say because like I keep saying, he isn't the final decision like you guys have there in Miami. Yeah, I think so far it's been, you know, pretty disappointing, but for the most part it's been, disappointing in the way that we expected it for Houston to go. Now, there was a couple of games where we could have won. Cleveland is one of those games. I thought the Carolina Panther was a very winnable game. The New England Patriots was also a game that they should have won and held the lead in for majority of the game. But, you know, he's never been a coordinator before. And so that comes with its own issues when you skip from being an assistant coach to a head coach. And those growing pains have been there. Uh, that's mainly why I think that they assembled the coaching staff that they did around them. You know, a lot of veteran presence with guys with a lot of years in the NFL. Um, but overall, when I look at Cully and the experience so far, one in seven is one in seven. And you're not going to get too many good things out of being one in seven. We're not judging him for what's going on with Deshaun Watson or that situation. We're only judging him on week one, through up until this Sunday when they take on the Miami Dolphins, and they have been pretty bad on both sides of the ball. Now, how about uh, as I'm, I'm looking at Houston and some of the familiar names, and, and most specifically Laramie Tunsil, who was the centerpiece of a big trade from back in 2019 and got himself a nice contract, and he's been on IR. I believe he's eligible to return. So what's the vibe in, in – like, is this a Laramie Tunsil revenge game opportunity here, or are we not going to get a chance to see him uh, in week – what is it, week nine already? Jeez. Yeah, you, you, you're not going to get an opportunity to see Laramie Tunsil, unfortunately. He is still uh, – he's still listed on IR. I mean, he is designated to return, but – um, he's still quote unquote recovering from his um, hand surgery that he underwent. Um, he sustained a hand surgery in the game against the New England Patriots. And, um, you know, David Cully even said on Monday that he doesn't really know how the recovery is going. But at the end of the day, I just think because this team is one and seven, I don't expect them to win another game. He's probably thinking the same. I would not be surprised if we do not see Laramie Tunsil anymore. But you don't have to worry about Laramie Tunsil on Sunday. So Brian Flores, historically, with the Dolphins, not maybe not this year, but historically, has looked pretty – his defenses have looked pretty good against opposing rookie quarterbacks. And yes. obviously, Terod Taylor, uh, hamstring injuries, missed some time. Davis Mills has had some bright flashes. There's been some low lows, and the, and the team output for points uh, for, I think, Three of his six starts is like 17 combined points over three of his starts combined. Uh, so there's been ups and downs 
but I'm just curious, what is it about Davis Mills that has flashed the most? Uh, what has been his biggest Achilles heel? And uh, if Miami were to try to push his buttons and get him rattled, uh, what would be the most direct way for them to do that on Sunday? So I'm going to try to answer those in order the way you okay. asked them, right? Uh, the first one would be what are the good things we've seen from Davis Mills? Two things for me has been his the growth and going through progressions. And whenever they give him the opportunity to throw the ball downfield, he has a pretty good arm and he's able to kind of get the ball in the vicinity of that receiver. He's made some plays. He's missed some plays that comes with being a rookie. Uh, but the bad version of Davis Mills we've seen has been to not Houston, has been to Houston not allowing him to push the ball down the field. The second question was some of the his Achilles heel so far. Yeah. The top five, the offensive line. The front five has not done a good job. You know, Brandon Staley, the head coach for the LA Chargers, I always still call him the San, San Diego Chargers. Good save. Uh, the, the, of, the, of the Chargers, he mentioned why the run game is important, that it brings a certain physicality to the game, to the offense. Well, Houston has completely not been able to tap into that. So that physicality for Houston hasn't been there, and it shows. They've been pushed around. They've been knocked off the field. They haven't been able to sustain draws. The front five, from tackle to tackle, whether it had been Larry Tunsil and the offensive line without Larry Tunsil have looked even worse. But without them being able to create a ring game or block form and give him more time, then it shows in Davis Mills maybe throwing an early read pass or an errant throw or just not going through his reads. And one thing that I think the Miami Dolphins could do on Sunday to kind of throw them off is just throw some blitzes at him, mix it up. If I'm being honest, you know, get in his face. Whenever you play with these young quarterbacks when they come to the league, when they're still trying to figure out coverages and different looks, so throw everything you can at them. And the Miami Dolphins hasn't been a good defense this year, so the more you can kind of get in his face, the more opportunities the Dolphins will have against some turnovers. What's interesting about that is, is they played a pretty inspired first half against Buffalo last week. And we got to the end of the game and Xavier Howard came out and said, yeah, this was the first time we really called a defensive game plan. Like we did all last year to which you're kind of like, Oh, okay. Like you were sixth in scoring defense last year. Why'd you change everything up? So no, they, they did bring a lot of blitzes. They did get after Josh Allen. I think they're fifth or sixth in blitz rate to this point this season. Um, so would expect to see a blitz-heavy approach to try and get uh, in Davis Mills' head a little bit. I want to ask you guys about the defense for Houston. Obviously, J.J. Watt departure after a very successful run with the, the franchise and then a trade of Charles Amenehue just in front of the trade deadline yesterday or on earlier this week. So um, who are some of the defensive standouts? Uh, and, and I hear you talk about the issues that the Houston offense has and boy, it sounds pretty familiar because a lot of the same things and a lack of ability to, to create push up front. It's all the same stuff Miami's dealing with right now. So as they're trying to, if they were to try to formulate a game plan uh, to beat Houston on defense, who are the guys they have to be most mindful of uh, and who are some guys that they might want to phys physically try to challenge in the box? John Grenard, Cody, I think, you know, right now, the second year defensive lineman out of Florida. 
And you're in the Miami area, so I'm sure Miami and Florida, you've seen him a couple of times maybe play out there. But John Grenard, you know, in six weeks, he's been able to account for seven sacks. He has a great motor. Every week we're seeing different moves from him. He hit somebody with a spin last week, and I was like, hold on real quick. That's why we were able to move on from Shaq Lawson. Y'all didn't tell us about Shaq Lawson, man. I hey, well, you, you I were going to give us something for him. So we you didn't tell me about Bernard McKinney. So what oh. gives? Okay, so we're, we're even. We're, we're even. <laughs> we set did up. each other dirty, yeah. Yeah, but I, I and I look at y'all offensive line right now. I'm sure there's not a lot of confidence in that unit. And John Grenard has been playing really well. Also, I think this is a game from Malik Collins that have a statement game as well. He's been playing well as of late. He's getting in the groove, uh, getting more comfortable. And I think the defensive line is the best unit for this defensive side of the ball. And they're just getting their own personal groove regardless of what's going on in our secondary and at the linebacker <laughs> level. So those are the two guys with Bernard and Collins that I think could really disrupt this game on Sunday. Cody, any names in the secondary guys that are playing well, guys that, you know, if we, we were going to throw some volume in targets at somebody, <laughs> you might be sitting there shaking your I could can tell you for, for if, if you see Justin Coleman 27 on the field, your eyes better light up like Christmas trees because there's some, <laughs> some good yards to be had if you see 27 in coverage for Miami. I'll, I'll give you the tip right now. Outside of Justin Reed, hell no. At one time, I would love to sit here and tell you Lonnie Johnson, but ever since he got benched, Going into that game against the Indianapolis Colts, it's almost like he gave up. It's like we saw the best version of Lonnie Johnson, and in the blink of an eye, we've been stuck in this worst version of Lonnie Johnson. And his coverage last week was just god-awful. I mean, if Tua can attack him, then, you know, you guys might win by like three, four touchdowns at that point because he has been <laughs> terrible. The only person that, that's worth talking about just a little bit in this secondary is, um, like I just mentioned, Reed. And Reed can't do it by himself. The cornerbacks are terrible. They just cut Vernon Hargraves. And, John, you might disagree with me, but he's been somewhat decent this year, and that's not saying a lot because he's been just as bad since he got here. So, no. Put, put it like this. As John just alluded to, and this is how I feel, not only is that defensive line the best version of the Texans' defense, but it might be the only solid unit that the Texans have. And I know you guys down there in Miami have a lot of issues going on with your offensive line. So that's the only way I can see the Texans kind of staying competitive in this game is if they draw a, a good enough defensive scheme by using their defensive front. But that secondary, no, not a chance. This will be a compelling game, regardless of what the records say. It no. feels like a couple of evenly no. matched teams. I think it's a couple of evenly matched teams with their own respective issues. Right. And no, I, I, I think this is um, this team, they're, they're the man in the mirror. You yes. see the Dolphins, <laughs> you see the, the Texans. And I think That's the, the uh, quarterback issues, front office issues, head coach issues, record playing on the field issues, defensive issues, can't run the ball issues. They both Mitchell tied into Deshaun Watson in some kind of way. <laughs> the Spider-Man pointing me. Exactly. Texans and Dolphins right now. But and if you're listening to this crossover Thursday, odds are you guys are probably pretty interested in the game. And we thank you for tuning in with Locked On Dolphins, Locked On Texans, your team every day. We don't just say it. 
here. We live it on the Locked On Network, and we appreciate everybody who makes us your first listen throughout the course of the day. Enjoy the game this weekend. Enjoy the college football that's to be had this weekend as well. And thanks, as always, for listening to the Locked On Network. You are Locked On Texans, your daily podcast on the Houston Texans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.